Good morning. And thank you, Tammy, for that wonderful testimony about hospitality. I am delighted to be part of this sermon series on the means of grace, and particularly to have a chance to think with you about understanding hospitality as a means of grace. Actually, it's how I got started researching and writing about hospitality decades ago. I didn't have the language or the words for it then, but I had discovered for myself the mystery of hospitality, that somehow in offering hospitality, I was often the one being blessed and changed. Now, it's not all that surprising to think that as a guest, you would experience the blessing of hospitality or the grace of hospitality, or as a host, that you, were knowing, you would know that you were doing a good thing, especially in offering hospitality to someone in need. But it was the experience of blessing and change and closeness to God in the offering of hospitality that surprised me. And I found out later, it surprises a lot of people. So in welcoming people with disabilities into my life, in making a place for refugees in my church and community, in opening my life and my home to troubled college students, I experienced blessing and the presence of God. Certainly it wasn't all happy blessings. It was challenging, and sometimes I and those with me found ourselves exhausted or overwhelmed or frustrated. That wasn't surprising. What was surprising was the grace that somehow in our very imperfect offering of welcome, we found ourselves standing on holy ground or encountering Jesus in fresh ways. Not always, but surprisingly often. And so we found ourselves learning about faithfulness and about God's love and power from refugees who'd survived the killing fields and found Christ in the refugee camps. From people with major disabilities, we learned a deeper meaning of bread and body broken in the Eucharist. We received ministry from homeless people who were especially sensitive to the losses we'd experienced. And we were spiritually and socially challenged by students who longed for truth and authenticity in relationships, and particularly in the church. Maybe I shouldn't have been surprised by all of this, but it wasn't the regular understanding of hospitality, which tended to see it as something good to do, a task, or a pleasant form of entertaining family or friends, but not something revelatory, not something life-changing. And yet, all along, I was familiar with the, the verse from Hebrews 13 too, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. But I'm not sure I ever really reflected on the implications of what was being said there. Don't you just love it when a very familiar verse suddenly shouts something new and fresh into your life? It's such a surprise. I think that may be one of the ways in which searching the scriptures is a means of grace. Well, in all my years, and at this point, it's close to 40 of working on this topic as a practice, as a research and writing project, as a topic for teaching, I never really thought about what was being said 
in the Hebrews passage beyond the linking of hospitality with Abraham and Sarah's offering of welcome to strangers who turned out to be angels. But now it seems so clear to me that the passage is claiming very boldly that hospitality is a means of grace. It doesn't say don't neglect offering, to, offering hospitality to strangers because people are hungry or lonely or because God says so or because Jesus did it, although all those reasons are true and really important. But in this passage, it says to the church, don't neglect hospitality because you might miss out on encountering angels. Of course, this is a reference to the Genesis 18 passage, the one we just heard read, where Abraham welcomes three men who appear near his tent in the middle of the day, and he and Sarah make a place for them and prepare a special meal. And in that welcome, Abraham and Sarah receive the promise of a son, a longed-for child in their old age. In the encounter, it's not clear they know they're in conversation with angels. But the reader discovers that a little later in the passage, that they've been visited by the Lord and angels. In the Hebrews passage, the writer clearly suggests that Abraham welcomed angels without knowing it, unwittingly. He saw strangers in need of hospitality and welcomed them. So when the Genesis passage is referred to in Hebrews 13, the church is being told to be careful about its response to strangers because they might be angels, messengers from God, messengers who interrupt our lives with opportunities for grace and change and encounters with God. Welcome strangers because there's the possibility of extraordinary blessing and opportunity for you. You want an encounter with God? Welcome a stranger. It's this mysterious connection that reorients views of hospitality from a burdensome but good task to a potential encounter with the living God. But why emphasize this today in our self-focused, self-absorbed culture? It seems almost selfish and self-oriented. Offer hospitality to get something in return? Welcome a stranger and you might get an angel, or at least a blessing? But that thinking is exactly what destroys the practice. Giving hospitality to get something back to gain some advantage for yourself or using it instrumentally is deadly to the Christian practice of hospitality. But I don't think that's what's going on here. The point in Hebrews is different. Hospitality is challenging and substantial hospitality can be demanding. But in God's wisdom and goodness, he has made it good for everyone, guests and hosts. Because opportunities for hospitality almost always come as interruptions, they are easy to dismiss or overlook, and it's easy to feel frustrated about interruptions and to resent needy strangers who cross our paths. Thinking about hospitality as a means of grace recognizes the subtle dynamic in this practice. God has already designed the interaction to bring grace into our lives. We don't welcome someone to gain a benefit. 
But in fact, in God's generous, grace-filled economy, we might encounter angels. Not every time. It's interesting that even in the Hebrews passage, it says some have entertained angels without knowing it. We don't know when or who will mediate an encounter with the Lord. But it is interesting to notice in the Old Testament how often people besides Abraham and Sarah were brought into closer connection with God through encounters with strangers, sometimes as angels, prophets, representatives of God's people. But think about Lot and Rahab, the widow of Zarephath, the Shunammite woman, and so many others. But to cap it off in the New Testament, in the familiar passage of Matthew 25, 31 through 46, Jesus says that in welcoming the stranger, in feeding the hungry person, or visiting the one who is sick, we are encountering him, caring for him. If this weren't such a familiar passage, we might be astonished by his statement. More than angels, there's the possibility that in our humble practices of welcome, we are attending to Jesus, and Jesus is coming to us. So where does this idea of hospitality as a means of grace come from? Well, I hope we've begun to see that it has roots in the scriptures. There's far more we could talk about in terms of the scriptures, but that's for another day. In the ancient church, especially in the writings of John Chrysostom, hospitality was a crucial practice, and he loved to preach. He really did love to preach about Abraham's and Sarah's hospitality. In fact, multiple sermons on the same text and an amazing number of references to it in other places. So let me just read to you a little bit from his um, homily 41 on Genesis. So he writes, Abraham, quote, kept an eye out for passers-by without caring whether they were known to him or not. You see, it's not part of hospitality to worry about such things. Friendliness involves sharing one's possessions with all comers. Since Abraham cast a wide net of hospitality, he in turn was judged worthy to welcome the Lord of all with his angels. And then later Chrysostom says about Abraham's gracious response to the strangers, you see, this is what hospitality really involves. The person exemplifying it with enthusiasm receives something rather than gives it. Chrysostom insists that Abraham did not know his visitors were special, even when he responded with deference and great respect. And so he writes further, this is a quote, the really remarkable thing is that he spoke such words while approaching them as fellow human beings, calling himself their servant, bowing, imploring them not, not to go on without stopping. For Chrysostom, Abraham exemplifies the virtues of enthusiasm and humility, as opposed to indifference in responding to strangers. And so he goes on to warn his hearers, again a quote, don't concentrate on the fact that he served them bread and meat, but consider how much respect, how much humility he displayed in his hospitality, unlike most people who, even though they should do something similar, think themselves superior to the recipients and oftentimes despise them for the attention given them. You see, the person who does something from such a warped intention and acts as one giving rather than receiving does not know what he is doing. Hence, he loses his reward for it as well. And finally, John Chrysostom says, 
Let us all imitate this and display much zeal in practicing hospitality, not merely to receive some recompense for these perishable and corruptible things, but to lay up for ourselves as well the enjoyment of immortal blessings. You see, if we practice hospitality, we shall welcome Christ here, and he will in turn welcome us in those mansions prepared for those who love him. And we shall hear from him, come my father's blessed ones, take possession of the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why so? For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you made me welcome. What, Chrysostom says, could be less troublesome than this. Christ didn't bid us scrutinize and investigate those about to be given hospitality by us, did he? You play your part, Christ says, even if the person is of lowly station and unprepossessing. I will take, as done to myself, what is done to them. If you want to read somebody on hospitality, he's the one. Anyway, many centuries later, John Chrysostom, um, no, not John Chrysostom, many centuries later, John Wesley um, picks up a lot of the same concerns and understandings of hospitality that we find in the ancient church and actually defines the means of grace more broadly than some of the Protestant reformers. But in his sermon, in Wesley's sermon entitled The Means of Grace, he explains that by it he's referring to outward signs, words, or actions ordained of God and appointed for this end, to be the ordinary channels whereby God might convey to us preventing, justifying, or sanctifying grace. And in that sermon, as you've heard over the series, Wesley singles out prayer and searching the scriptures and receiving the Lord's Supper. In other places, Wesley adds fasting and Christian community. And in his sermon on visiting the sick, he asks whether works of piety are the only means of grace, whether there are other ordinary channels by which God conveys his grace to us. And in this sermon, Wesley says, surely there are works of mercy as well as works of piety, which are real means of grace. They are more especially such to those that perform them with a single eye, he says, and those that neglect them do not receive the grace that otherwise they might. Yea, and they lose by a continued neglect the grace which they have received. In this sermon, Wesley is addressing the importance of visiting people who are sick because he believes this is a practice that has been particularly neglected by the church. But he defines the sick really broadly as persons in any state of affliction. That sort of covers everybody. Um, whether they're good or bad, and whether they fear God or not. So it's a, it's a very broad definition. And he uses Matthew 25 in the sermon. So it seems like his message actually takes in all of the aspects of hospitality welcoming, feeding, care, conversation, visiting, and so on, as a means of grace. But how, for Wesley, is such visiting or such hospitality a means of grace? Certainly to the recipient, to the guest, or the stranger, or the sick person, it's the blessing of having their needs met. Needs for care, for shelter, for food, for friendship, and for salvation. In a welcoming environment, as a person is visited or welcomed into a place, her or his physical and spiritual condition and their social circumstances can be attended to. They can find comfort, instruction, guidance, strength, and building up. 
It's the grace of being offered a place to belong, to be valued and respected, to experience love, an encounter with another who is him or herself, the hands and feet of Jesus. So that person, the one in need, the guest or stranger, experiences the embodied love of Jesus in the form of a generous and welcoming host. And for the one who offers hospitality and care, there are a number of ways in which it's a means of grace. And this actually is the focus of Wesley's sermon. And here, Wesley also offers warnings. First, that the provision of care or hospitality be done with a sense of humility and inadequacy. We should be deeply convinced that we are not sufficient for the task, he writes. We have neither, he says, sufficient grace nor sufficient understanding to perform it in the most excellent manner. And this will convince us of the necessity of turning to God for help, crying out, he says, for the quote, the whole spirit of humility, lest if pride steal into your heart, if you ascribe anything to yourself, while you strive to save others, you will destroy your own soul. From beginning to end, and this is a quote again, let your heart wait upon God for a continual supply of meekness and gentleness, of patience and long-suffering, that you may never be angry or discouraged at whatever treatment, rough or smooth, kind or unkind, you may meet with. Wesley continues, be not moved with the deep ignorance of some, the dullness, never minces words, the amazing stupidity of others. Marvel not at their peevishness or stubbornness, at their non-improvement after all the pains you have taken. Still, your record is with the Lord and your reward with the Most High. I think this is really important, that as we offer hospitality, we recognize our own inadequacy, our frailty, our incomplete sanctification. And the grace is that our weakness draws us to depend on the strength of God. Wesley was not a romantic. He knew from experience that hospitality and care could be difficult, sometimes frustrating and disappointing. Despite our best efforts, people don't always respond well. They aren't always transformed, healed, or grateful. And they surely don't always act like angels. He knows that, and he directs us to the Lord. But he also knows, in the same way that John Chrysostom noted, that it is easy for those of us offering help to imagine ourselves to be special, to become proud of our generosity and comfortable with our own goodness. That kind of pride and self-satisfaction is dangerous to the practice of hospitality and to our own holiness. And his words of warning also help us remember that just because we understand that we might be encountering angels or might have a chance to minister to Jesus, that does not displace the actual person before us. If anything, it helps us remember that they're made in God's image, worthy of our attention and deserving of love and respect. This is important because there are ways in which we can meet physical and even spiritual needs, but simultaneously humiliate the recipient. Or as another wise practitioner put it, we can fill their hands but break their hearts. So while understanding hospitality as a means of grace can suggest that a person is sort of greedy for grace, what if seeing it as a means of grace 
is a form of humility, of recognizing that we too need the grace of God, the visitation of God or angels, the particular word or insight from God that a stranger might bring. What if the possibility that the stranger is an, an angel turns our grudging hospitality into something more beautiful and respectful than a handout? There are several other insights from Wesley's sermon that help us understand the ways in which hospitality is a means of grace. For Wesley, offering hospitality and care in person, face to face, allows us to see with our own eyes what the needs are. Friendship and face to face relations help us understand the besetting problems that people struggle with. We understand the challenges from the inside. We see both the personal and structural issues they face. For us today, when we work directly with people who are homeless or refugees or asylum seekers or troubled teens, we come to understand the socioeconomic, the familial, the personal ways in which they struggle. So providing hospitality is a way of growing in wisdom and discernment so that the solutions we offer actually match the needs. But it's really important to remember that all of our efforts are a response to the blessings of God. Their foundation is the righteousness and sacrifice of Christ. Our hospitality is a response of gratitude for the grace we have received through Christ. There is no other foundation. It's not about earning God's affection or attention. We already have that. It's about becoming more like the one who has welcomed us. The practice of hospitality, like the other means of grace, help to conform us to the image of Christ. Christ meets us in the means of grace and meets us in hospitality in remarkable ways. We get to embody, to be the body of Christ in offering welcome, and we get to receive Christ as we welcome the person in need. As we offer hospitality, we become a means of grace to the person we welcome, even as offering welcome is a means of grace to us. The incarnation is the background to the practice of Christian hospitality. It is the demonstration of the lengths God has gone to welcome us into his presence. I love how hospitality and angels and means of grace and interruptions and incarnation all intersect, at least in my mind. Um, but practicing hospitality gives us a chance to welcome Christ himself. As Mother Teresa said, often in distressing disguise. And it gives us a chance to be different from the innkeeper who didn't have room for a little family desperately in need of shelter, who in closing the door and offering them only stable space missed the chance to welcome the Lord of glory, the most important birth of all time, in a sense, it was a microcosm of John 1, where we read that the world which came into being through Jesus, when Jesus came, many found his entry into that world as a stranger to be uninteresting, unimportant, and an unwelcome interruption. But Jesus' entrance into our world was accompanied by lots of angel encounters. Joseph, Mary, Zechariah, the shepherds, 
People were going about their regular activities and angels interrupted their lives with startling news and everything changed for them. It's quite extraordinary for us to think that in offering hospitality, we too might be encountering angels. I've never studied angels or tried to offer a theological account of who they are or what they do. In fact, ethicists don't talk a lot about angels. But, but it's, it's true. But I know they are messengers, they're rescuers, they're executors of God's purposes. Angels interrupt our regular activities. But I've started to wonder if angels and the means of grace do a lot of the same thing. They both shape encounters with God that give us glimpses into who God is and God's purposes, into who we are, into what God desires for us. Angels seem a little more unpredictable than means of grace seem to be. Means of grace are more regular, a little more under our control, something we do or take part in. And they are more regularly available to us and require something from us in response to grace. There's no magic with means of grace or angels, no human manipulation that can bring about encounters with God. But there's grace, there's a lot of grace. What is distinctive about hospitality or works of mercy more generally is that they are means of grace for both parties. Christ is present all the way through the interaction as host and guest. So what is it that keeps us from a more hospitable presence, from experiencing hospitality as a means of grace more often? What are we waiting for? If we're waiting for the person to seem a little more like Jesus or an angel before we respond, or for the house to be in better order, or for studying to be done, or for the book to be written, before we look up and notice, we'll miss a lot of opportunities. If we insist on always being the one who hosts and never allow ourselves to be the person in need of welcome, we will also miss opportunities for grace. Or maybe it's our strong task orientation that's very resistant to interruption. Perhaps we need to think about interruptions a little differently. It's pretty clear that we don't generally arrange for angels' visits. It's not very helpful to try to figure out who among those we welcome is going to be an angel. Just like in Matthew 25, it's not very clear who the, the hungry person is or the stranger that turns out to be Jesus. What is clear is that the risk is big. We tend to think that the risk is in the direction of welcoming someone who turns out to be a waste of time or too much trouble. But maybe the bigger risk is missing the opportunity to make a place for angels or to welcome Jesus, to invite God's grace into our lives in unexpected, even inconvenient ways. A number of years ago when I was interviewing people who were homeless about how they knew they were welcomed and valued in a particular community, I was surprised by the number who said to me they knew they were welcome because they didn't feel like an interruption there. I think that's a pretty important insight. For most of us, unless hospitality is a vocation or a full-time job, offering hospitality usually comes as an interruption in our daily routines. And our routines are full and very busy, so interruptions feel burdensome and responses can be grudging. 
But what if we treated more of those interruptions as a means of grace? But hospitality doesn't need to be difficult to be a means of grace. There are people around us all the time who would flourish in the context of welcome. Neighbor children, international or fellow students, coworkers, the elderly church members with no family nearby, our relatives, and so on. It's a means of grace when our focus is on the guest. If it's about entertaining or fussing or gaining advantage or attention, it's more about us and we miss the grace. People who have welcomed strangers often say, you know, I went into this thinking I was helping those people, but I got so much more than I gave. They were surprised by the mystery of God's grace. If we offer hospitality to get something, it's really just a form of exchange, and we miss the grace. But when our hospitality is a response, an overflow of gratitude for the welcome we've received, it's grace-filled. As recipients of God's grace and welcome, we are empowered to be agents of God's grace and welcome. What a blessing that God promises to meet us in the practice. So let's pray together. Lord, we are so thankful for the extraordinary welcome you have given to us, that you have made a place for us, a place of transformation and healing, of love and mercy. Help us, each of us, to embody your welcome more fully, to offer hospitality with joy, and to live more intentionally into the mystery of your grace. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.